You need winners? Let the sports advisors show you how to make money. General Manager Al DeMarco, a former sports reporter and contributor on Fox Sports, MSNBC, and Comcast Sports TV, brings over 25 years of handicapping experience to the table. Rick Torino, a 25-year handicapping expert, spent over a decade as a college and pro football editor at a national wire service. Together, they are the Sports Advisors, your number one source for winners. Week number three, the college football season is upon us. Week number two, certainly one for the dogs. Hi, everyone. Al DeMarco here along with Rick Torino. And Rick, first of all, props to you. You said here on last week's show that BYU was your best bet. What you didn't warn me as I was watching that game, that the fourth quarter and the double overtime sessions would take about four hours to complete. But again, props to you. But what a wacky weekend it was last week. Al, before we go any further, we just got a comment. Great day for the Sun Belt. I loved it. You know, that may never happen again. Notre Dame, Nebraska, and Texas A&M. Unbelievable. I, I was so excited just as being a big college football fan to see that Sun Belt win like that. That was, that was great. Yeah, a lot of big-name coaches that are getting big bucks did not deliver for their teams. Number one, of course, being Jimbo down in Texas A&M, and we're going to talk about his game this week. I'd say it's pretty much a must-win for Fisher against Miami of Florida. We had the first coach getting axed with Nebraska giving the boot to Scott Frost, and that's going to be the first game we're going to be talking about today as the Cornhuskers under interim coach Mickey Joseph host Oklahoma. But it was a very weird week. App State upsetting Texas A&M, Marshall knocking off Notre Dame. But there were more upsets than that. How about Duke, a 10-point road dog? Duke beating Northwestern 31-23. to Washington State, a 17-point dog winning 17 to 14 at Wisconsin. What's going on with the Badgers? But then you have, I thought, one of the more interesting games. And listen, Colorado State is not going to be good. And it's a major rebuilding job going on out there. But you have Middle Tennessee State coming in. The Blue Raiders, 13 and a half point underdog. They went 34-19. And that line opened with Middle Tennessee State as an eight-point dog. They go up to a 13 and a half point dog and they win the game outright 34 to 19. And then finally, this is my favorite one of all. Kansas, no longer a cupcake. The Jayhawks, who would have guessed the Kansas Jayhawks are 2 and 0. And so many major college programs are 1 and 2 or 0 and 2. But Kansas, a 14 point underdog, goes into West Virginia and wins 55 to 42 as a two touchdown pup. Al, Al, you just never know from week to week what's going to happen. What a great job by Lance Leipold out there. He came from Buffalo, really turning that Kansas program around. And I'll tell you what, they got a good matchup this week, and they travel down to Houston. Uh, it's not out of the question. They could go 3-0 and this, and that what a great start that would be for them. And on the other hand, Neil Brown at West Virginia, boy, oh, starting out at 0-2, he's definitely on the hot seat. Uh, came over from Troy, really hasn't done anything for the uh, Mountaineers, so he's on the hot seat. Ah, that's right. And Kansas taking on Houston. Uh, Houston lost to Texas Tech, I believe, this weekend in Lubbock. Overtime. So that's overtime. Yeah. And there's another guy with Dana down in Houston who they paid the big money to leave West Virginia, and he hasn't exactly delivered either. Right. Yeah. Uh, Houston. That that was a back and forth game. That they had a couple of chances to win that game last week, and. You know, they, they're going to have their hands full with that Kansas squad. They're, they're fortunate they're at home this week. But, uh, you know, that Kansas is an improved team. And any time you see a, a, a downtrodden program like Kansas been for all these years, great to see them off to such a good start. You know, one thing we've always talked about over the years is everything is cyclical when it comes to gambling. Just because the dogs were barking like crazy last week, doesn't mean that the pups are going to be barking this week in Vegas. Uh, but what happens is often gamblers and some handicappers alike, the last impression is the one that is always on their mind and carries over to the next week's games. And that is often a huge money-making mistake. 
Yeah, so many times, Al. But there still are some dogs this week that are live dogs that I've seen our card that I, I kind of like. Um, so, you know, you know, like it goes from week to week. You, you just can't tell. I mean, and, and, and nobody is an expert in this business, Al. After last weekend's action, nobody's an expert. Well, listen, if we were all experts, you know, we'd be betting and winning millions and we want to be doing this program. <laughs> uh, listen, guys, if you haven't caught this show before, as I always like to say, you know, Rick and I decide in advance which games we're going to discuss, but we don't ever discuss them in advance. So the opinions you're about to get, they're fresh right off the table, right out of the oven. So with that being said, let's get to the first game on the board. I think there's so many subplots in this one in Lincoln, Nebraska, Oklahoma, an 11 and a half point favorite, a noon Eastern kickoff with the Cornhuskers, Scott Frost. They didn't even want to wait until that buyout went down by seven and a half millions. They just wanted to push him out the door and for a multitude of good reasons. Mickey Joseph, as I said, now the interim coach. Um, Oklahoma is off to a 2-0 start, but I can't say it's an impressive 2-0 start. They certainly struggled beating Kent State last Saturday. It was a 33-3 final, but it was also a 7-3 Sooners advantage in the third quarter before the Sooners finally got the ball rolling. Yeah, Alan, unfortunately, Nebraska, the, the loss last week to Georgia Southern was the end for Scott Frost. I mean, they, that defense... Uh, you know, gave up 642 yards to Georgia Southern. Um, however, you know, when you look back at their schedule last year, they were in all their games. They were in all their games, Nebraska was. One score games, um, just a lot of his blunders that he's made over the course of the year. And I'll go back to the onside kick against Northwestern, being up by 11 points a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I have a good feeling about the Huskers this weekend. Um, I like them getting the 11 and a half at home. Uh, last year, they they which it, last year's team isn't as good as uh, athletic as this year's team. They only trailed at halftime uh, last year um, by a few points to Oklahoma, and then uh, got then ended up losing twenty three sixteen, catching twenty two last year. It was seven three at halftime last year in the game against Oklahoma in Norman. But uh, this year, I'm leaning toward Nebraska getting the points at home and uh, making a good debut for Mickey Joseph, another former Cornhusker. Yeah, this is an interesting game from a number of aspects. As I said, the subplots are many. You've got a Northwest, or excuse me, a Nebraska defense, which certainly has uh, repeatedly failed. The offense, part of the reason that Frost was allowed to return is because his salary was cut. The buyout was supposedly going to be leveraged and reduced. We saw it wasn't because they wanted him booted out of the door early, but he was also forced to bring in four new offensive assistants. However, the behind the scenes reports were that he was meddling in the game planning and game calling. Will it be different this week now without his influence? They've got a quarterback, Casey Thompson, the ex-Texas Longhorn, who if you recall last year in the Red River rivalry, which I dare you to say three times quickly, uh, had a phenomenal game in that shootout with Oklahoma. Uh, he was uh, 20 for 34, 388 yards and five touchdowns. Now, Texas lost that game. And the Sooners defense, I don't know if they're appreciably much better this season. The pass rush has not been there in the first two games. Now, Brent Venables, we know, he you know, earned his... Uh, his bones because of his prowess as a defensive coordinator at Clemson, but it's going to take him time getting that Sooners defense whipped into shape. So I'm with you. If I was to play this game, I'm grabbing the points. I also think it's very interesting how the line has dropped. What did this game open about 14? And now we're down to 11 and a half as we shoot this video on Tuesday night. So the sharp money has also deflated the price as Nebraska money has poured in. You know, Al, like you were saying about the coaches he brought in, one of them was Mark Whipple, who did such a good job with Kenny, Pick Kenny Pickett at Pitt last year. And you, you could just tell in that Nebraska-Northwestern game that there were frustrations between Frost and Whipple because when, he, when Whipple came in, he was given the reins to be the offensive guy and Frost was done calling the plays. Well, 
it just didn't work out, but I, Whipple will have full control now of that offense. So you could see a different, you know, a different offensive scheme for the Huskers on Saturday. Okay. We are both in agreement. Nebraska is the way to go. Um, I don't have a strong opinion. I don't think Rick does either, but listen, guys, just a quick reminder. If you happen to be watching the video, you see it scrolling at the bottom of the page. If you happen to be listening to us on the podcast, a reminder that you can get my best bet or you can get Rick's best bet and all the best bets of all the handicappers at the sportsadvisors.com using the one day free all access pass. No obligation, no salesman, no hassles. It's thousands of dollars of plays when you think about it, when you get all the handicappers at minimum of 10 plays any day, you pick the day. Go over to the sportsadvisors.com. Don't forget the the, the sportsadvisors.com. Click on the free one day all access pass. We do it because it's the best way for you to find out how good we are. And you get our plays, you get our analysis from all the handicappers at the site with no strings attached. Again, that's the free one day all access pass over at the sportsadvisors.com. Next up, number one, Georgia. At South Carolina, the road team has covered six straight in the series. But listen, um, this Georgia team, my goodness, they've covered also nine of their last 10 outside of Athens. Uh, it's the SEC opener for the dogs. Uh, we know what they've done so far. Absolutely bludgeoned Oregon 49-3 last week, 33-0 over Sanford. But I think that was one of those who cares game, a big sandwich situation coming off the Oregon win. The look ahead to South Carolina. We talked about South Carolina last week here on the show. We both uh, liked Arkansas at home, minus the points. And it was a competitive game for a while, but the Razorbacks took care of business and eventually won and covered in that 44-30 win in Fayetteville. This time, Georgia, a monstrous road favor, 24 points. Which way are you leaning in this one? Well, Al, I think there's only one way to go. I'm, I, can't, I can't go against Georgia, even laying that big number of 24. They're on a seven-game road streak uh, coming into Columbia. They've won three, of the, they won three straight in Columbia by an average of 22 points. The line's 24. Um, South Carolina giving up 40 points in three of their last four against Georgia. Um, Dogs come last week was a ninth straight shutout since 2016 for Georgia. Uh, Stetson Bennett, you know, 300 yards passing last week. Again, a big number on the road in the SEC, but I not a strong play, but I, I like I got to go. I like Georgia. I haven't been impressed by Rattler yet this year for South Carolina. Yeah, Rattler uh, against Arkansas last week, 24 of 39, 376, one touchdown, one interception. The problem with the Gamecocks, they have no ground game. 119 yards total in two games, averaging 2.0 yards per carry. So Rattler is getting no ground support for Shane Beamer's team. The South Carolina defense came into the Arkansas game with a couple of key injuries. They lost two more defensive starters. Uh, one of their defensive ends, uh, Jordan Stra Strachan, I believe is how you say his last name. They also lost their middle linebacker, Mo Camba. Uh, Kaba for the season. Both of those guys are out. So this is a defense that was already shorthanded. Now they're even more injury riddled. That is not going to help against this Georgia offense. And, you know, Kirby Smart does not take any prisoners. It's not going to show any uh, benevolence towards South Carolina and their SEC road opener. Again, if you play this game, you have to lay the points. I don't see any way that you would ever find any logic in taking a, a home dog in this situation. So I'm with you. Uh, Georgia is the way to go. By the way, if Georgia wants to crank up their ground game, this is the time to do it. Last week, South Carolina gave up 295 yards on the ground to Arkansas. And it wasn't all K.J. Jefferson. Uh, uh, who was the uh, Arkansas running back? His name uh, now escapes me. Uh, Rocket Sanders had a career high 156 of them. They couldn't stop him. And the Georgia offensive line, I think, is a lot better than Arkansas's. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Al, you mentioned about line movements weeks ago before the season started when they put out a couple. This line had opened up Georgia 16. So now we're up to 24. So, yeah, see wow. where the money's going. Yeah, this is one of the more interesting games here. Uh, it was a great game last year. 
when Penn State held on for the 28-20 win at home. Now it's the return engagement in the Plains. Uh, Auburn hosting the Nittany Lions. The Lions, a three-point favorite. I can tell you, I have been uh, lucky enough to go to 38 states. I've driven across the country numerous times. One of my favorite things to do uh, as a sports junkie, as a former reporter like you, I love visiting different universities, checking out not only the university, the campus, but the generally the stadiums and the, the towns surrounding it. Auburn is one of the coolest places. The Plains, one of the neatest stadium and areas around it of all. I would say it's definitely within my in my top five places that I have visited. And I probably visited at least 70, maybe 80 uh, you know, FBS college football towns and universities over my years. But anyway, I'm I'm digressing. But uh, I uh, I like Penn State in this game. How about yourself? Oh well, you remember Al that that scene up at State College last year when they played on on Saturday night again. That was just a tremendous scene up at Happy Valley. Um, I'll pat myself on the back because that that game last year was one of my big picks. Really loved Penn State last year in that contest. We had that up on the side as a big win for for our uh, for our subscribers, but really, really liked Penn State. Um, not that impressed with Auburn this year. It's really tough to, to lay three. I'm surprised Penn State laying three points on the road at, at an SEC school. But um, I don't know. I think Sean Clifford can turn things around. Auburn just one in seven in revenge games versus non-SEC foes over the years. Uh, I think I'll, I'll probably go with you and a slight lean toward Penn State laying a three point. Sean Clifford, this will be a big stage for him. Uh, you know, they got the good running back, uh, Singleton. So I, th- I think, yeah, and, I li- and, and they got a good defense. The defense is good. Mustafer back. They're good in this, the back end of the defense with Joey Porter. Um, not that high on TJ Finley either. I saw him a couple of times last year. Uh, threw for just 176 the other night, so not a big uh, or the other last week, not a big fan of T.J. Finley. And you know how they struggled against a very game San Jose State Club last week. Uh, you know, but it's going to be a different story uh, against Penn State, yeah, when they come into town. But it should be a great scene, though. Definitely a great scene. You know, James Franklin is a guy who I've never been impressed with as a coach because it seems that he has so much talent. And somehow he seemingly doesn't get to maximize the talent that he has. Uh, In terms of Sean Clifford, there is a guy who is a veteran multi-year starter that Penn State fans just seemingly find something wrong with every other game, it seems. Yet he had a good game at Purdue, 20 for 37, 282 yards, four touchdowns and one interception. Last year against uh, Auburn, he had a fantastic game. You know, The thing that I like about Penn State here is that they are road tested. They went to Purdue. They won in West Lafayette, 35-31. They beat the hell out of Ohio, but big deal, 46-10. Although that game, you mentioned Singleton, Nick Singleton, the freshman. Franklin gave him some playing time. Uh, You know, he responded 179 yards and two touchdowns on 10 carries. The thing with Franklin is this week, Singleton might get five carries. That's just some of the things that drive me crazy about James Franklin. You're right, though, about Auburn. Beat Mercer 42 to 16. You, me, and nine other people. Oh, boy, I'm going to get myself in real trouble here. We'll skip Ooh. that one I was going to say. Uh, but you're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Next, uh, but San Jose State, 24-16. They were down by three points at halftime. Brian Harson, I'm still wondering if he really wants to be in the Plains coaching the Auburn Tigers. Doesn't have a quarterback. He does have Tank Bigsby, thank goodness, because yeah, yeah. last year, 102 of the 182 rushing yards in Happy Valley. But the quarterback situation is a state of flux. The ex-LSU transfer, T.J. Finley, has one touchdown and four interceptions. He's alternating in Robbie Ashford, who's more of a change of pace quarterback, not much of a thrower, much more of a, a runner. I don't see either one of them being the choice here. They weren't happy with Bo Nix. Well, this is what you got. You got Finley and Ashford. And uh, the Auburn defense, by the way, against San Jose State. And this is where I think Penn State has a great chance of attacking them down the field. The Auburn defense allowed 275 yards passing. 
They had seven completions. This is San Jose State. Had seven completions of 15 yards or more. Five of them for 22 yards or more. That's a lot of chunk plays going down the field. San Jose State had a veteran quarterback. Penn State has a veteran quarterback. Penn State has a much better offensive line and a much better wide receiver core. So that's why I look at this game a little differently than you. And I go, Penn State's only three, but because... But because, oh, this is Penn State going to an SEC school, I think there's that perception versus the reality. And I think this also comes into play when we talk later about Michigan State and Washington. There's that perception versus the reality. It's like, oh, Penn State can only be three. I think Penn State in reality is probably really a six to seven point favorite if you were to take out the locations of these game, this game. So that's how I look at this game. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm wrong, like Texas, Alabama. And I don't want to go back and talk about that game again. So with that being said, let's go to a next, another game. <laughs> you notice how we're just going to move right by that Texas, Alabama pick I had last Saturday. Just move right by. Yeah. That Longhorns pick. Who was I wrong about that one? Or excuse me, about uh, Alabama. I was way wrong. Nick Saban owes me something later in the season after picking the tide last week, the roll tide roll. They did not. Uh, Syracuse off to a 2-0 start at home against Purdue. Uh, noon Eastern time kickoff. Pick them game. I think this is a must-win situation for Purdue at 1-1, one one, having lost their only step-up game against Penn State. But uh, Dino Babers, who's pretty much coaching for his job, I think, this year, He's got the orange rolling. Al, you hit the nail right on the head. Babers is coaching for his job this year. Boy, he's off to a good start. I'll get right to it. Really like Syracuse this week. Heard that the Carrier Dome's going to be packed up there, which it should. Syracuse looking to make their first 3-0 start since 2018. Um, They got uh, an improved quarterback in Garrett Schrader, but the key is their running back, Sean Tucker. Led the ACC in rushing last year with 1,496 yards. He had 112 the other night, uh, the other day. Um, and this defense has improved. Remember, they shut down Louisville in week one and Malik Cunningham. We probably saw what Cunningham did last week to Central Florida when he just played an outstanding game. Uh, but a big improvement. I, I like Syracuse in this one. They shut him down only 152 yards. Uh, Cunningham was able to get against that orange defense, but the key's going to be on the ground. A uh, little worried about that passing, that passing attack that Purdue brings in with Aiden O'Connell, but I, I'm looking for the orange. I really like Syracuse. Yeah, this is another one of those games where, again, perception versus reality. I think a lot of people were looking at Purdue last year. They were such a road warrior, uh, five and two straight up on the road. They won at UConn. But again, anybody could have been in Yukon. Again, the Yukon Tourism Bureau has just taken me off their Christmas card <laughs> list. Uh, but they beat Iowa on the road. They won in Lincoln against Nebraska. They beat Northwestern at Wrigley Field. Uh, they beat Tennessee in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. So this is a team that won consistently on the highway last season. But that was last season. And doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to carry over to this season. That's why I think this game is a pick and plus the Orange have not been very good the past couple of years. But it has been an impressive run. And you're right, Garrett Schrader against Louisville. He was just great. Uh, 16 for 94 on the ground, 18 for 25, 236 yards and two touchdowns through the air. And then against UConn, where he hardly had to play, 20 for 23, 287s and three touchdowns. Sean Tucker giving him ground support. And that is something that Syracuse really hasn't had, a quarterback that's been healthy and effective and ground support. And that's what really makes that Dino Babers attack work. So now that they've got that, the Orange have covered eight of their last 10 at home, and I'm with you. I think Syracuse is going to be the play. Could even be an over in this situation because I don't think the Orange defense is going to be able to stop the Boilermakers. And you're looking at 58 and a half points how can this not be like 34 to 30 or 37 to 34? So I could also see the over, although I'm with you. I think Syracuse straight up is the way to go in this contest. Uh, next game, 
interesting play. Washington against Michigan State. Michigan State, first true road game, long trip, 2,200 miles, three time zones away. This is only the sixth time they're going to go to the far west in the regular season in the past 35 years. The other five times, they've gone 0 and 5 straight up. Mel Tucker has a tough road to hoe here. And this team is not as good as last year's team, mainly because Kenneth Walker III is no longer lugging the ball for the Spartans. Yeah, and this will be the first real test for Washington with wins over Kent State and Portland State. Um, I think the key here is going to be the uh, play of quarterback Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana, has some familiarity with the Spartans over the years, uh, 682 yards, um, six touchdowns a year ago So at, at Indiana. So I kind of I'm leaning slightly toward Washington at home. Should be a big crowd there. Um, you know, one of the big a Big Ten t- team coming in for the first time in a long time in the regular season into uh, Pullman into Seattle. So it should be an interesting game. Uh, Washington 20 and 8 straight up uh, since 2014 versus non conference uh, opposition. Uh, I'm leaning toward the Huskies uh, to take out Michigan State. And I certainly agree with you. Not as good, Michigan State, not as good as they were last year. And you know what? I still go back. They had all those wins, Al. But when you look at look at their schedule from last year, the, the opponents they uh, they beat one team and that was Michigan. Um, other than that, there the, the schedule was you know I wasn't impressed with their schedule last year. They have been getting some good production on the ground from uh, Jalen Berger and uh, Jarek Broussard, two transfers, the former from Wisconsin, the latter from Colorado. But where they haven't been getting good production is a quarterback, uh, their returning starter, Peyton Thorne. He has been inconsistent, high consistently with his throws. That has certainly hurt them. Washington, you're right. Michael Penix Jr., they needed a veteran quarterback. They got it. Uh, The offensive line has only allowed two sacks. Granted, they have played nobody. They beat Kent State 45 to 20. They beat Portland State 52 to 6. But then again, considering that Washington last year opened up with, uh, what, a loss to Montana State or Montana in week number one, this is a hell of a lot better start. But new coaching staff, new quarterback. Washington does have some injuries. Michigan State does lead the nation in quarterback sacks with 12. But again, Penix is very uh, athletic, very mobile. Uh, and playing behind that veteran offensive line, I would go ahead and lay the points with Washington, minus the three. And in this particular situation at three, that's one of those numbers, three and four, that I would buy down the half point so the uh, field goal or so doesn't screw you. Uh, This is a case where I buy down the insurance. This next game is difficult. Uh, Texas A&M minus the five uh, versus Miami of Florida. Uh, By the way, I've been to uh, Kyle Field. I've been to College Station. They have given, it's just a, it's a magnificent place. It's a cool town. Jimbo Fisher has gotten everything that any coach in America could possibly want. He has not produced. He has failed to come up with a quarterback. His play calling has been questionable and suspect at best. This team to lose as they did last week, 17 to 14 to App State. 38 offensive plays, 186 yards, seven offensive points. The guy that he anointed his next quarterback, Haynes Kings, 13 for 20, 97 yards, two sacks. This is an App State defense who the week before gave up, I think it was 437 points to North Carolina. It it just blows your mind that they couldn't score at will against App State. Al, I just was amazed at that game. It, that A&M roster is loaded with four and five stars. App State, nothing more than three-star recruits, but but that Sean Clark just did such a such a great job with App State last week. Um, you know, like you said, Haynes King, he ninety-seven yards passing. They rolled. Uh, I forget. Oh, App State. 315 yards of total offense against that A&M defense. And like you said, Al, gave up 63 the week prior to North Carolina. The the Appalachian State defense did. Um, I got to take Miami in the five and a half because this is a big statement game for Miami. And I don't know if A&M's 
is going to rebound. They're, I'm sure they're going to, you know, they're they're going to come out with everything they have on Saturday night, nine o'clock kickoff. Um, I haven't heard anything of a quarterback swap, quarterback change. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Max Johnson, who's the transfer from LSU, threw for almost threw for 2,800 yards last year and 27 touchdowns. What what would be the harm in putting him in there? But uh, I really like uh, Miami's quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, first quarterback in Miami in a long time that's, you know, that's living up to his potential. Um, but again, like you had said about um, Jimbo Fisher, it gave him all that money. And he, he hasn't developed a quarterback since Jameis Winston back at Florida State, you know, and he's supposed to be the great quarterback guru. I, I, I'm leaning toward Miami. Big statement came for Cristobal in his first year with the Hurricanes. You know, Jimbo Fisher has always been enamored with the athletic dual threat type of quarterback. And I think that's why he obviously went with Haynes King over Max Johnson, who's more of a traditional, I want to say close to a pocket passer with a much better arm. I don't get it. I mean, this offense needs to be kickstarted. And of course, you heard all the coach speak after the game. You know, we got to look at things. We got to reexamine things. We got to look upon ourselves. We got to coach the kids up. Oh, my God. You know, there was probably a dozen coaches this past week after the big upsets we saw in week number two that probably said some variation of the exact same thing. But they weren't getting paid nine hundred million dollars. You know, I'm embellishing like Jimbo Fisher is to produce more than another eight and four season. And he hasn't been a genius since Jameis Winston was his quarterback. And let's face it, that's why he was a genius and earned that big contract to leave Tallahassee to come to Bryan, Texas. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Van Dyke, 20 for 29, 241 yards, really struggled in the first half last week against Southern Miss at home, a game where the Hurricanes scored late right before intermission to take a 10-7 lead. Second half, the Hurricanes came to life. I'm wondering, however, if perhaps they didn't have an eye cast forward to this game and perhaps took Southern Miss just a little for granted, because I do believe that Miami has turned the corner somewhat. And the other thing that has me agreeing with you on this side, taking Miami of Florida, is this number. It has come down from five and a half to five here just in the last 24 hours. Again, we're doing this on Tuesday night is that the five and a half number is kind of like being out on an island. You can't buy down the insurance if it's four and a half to four or three and a half to three. Five and a half, you're basically saying, hey, Texas A&M, you got to win by a touchdown. So it makes it very conducive and, and very attractive to grab points with the underdog. And I'm with you. I think Miami of Florida plus the points in a low scoring game. You know, what the heck? Might as well give it a shot and go with Miami in this nationally televised game. This is a very interesting matchup. I don't think it's going to get a lot of uh, attention. Mississippi State and LSU. I, quickly, I got to tell you my LSU story. So, again, been to Baton Rouge many times. I take my wife down to LSU. We're walking around. I can't really say, okay, let, let me piss off the Louisiana Tourism Bureau. I can't really say LSU is a campus that I was very attracted by. It just, eh, it's a it's a campus. But you go to the stadium and you know the lore and the history of the stadium. And then you go over and you walk by the stadium and the Maravich Center is there. And I know Mike the Tiger, the habitat is over there. And they have the Mike the Tiger statue there. And we're walking there and I'm telling my wife, and this is a couple of years ago, I'm telling my wife about why the Mike the Tiger, the history behind Mike the Tiger and stuff. And we're walking by around it. And she thinks the whole Mike the Tiger thing is the statue. And (laughs) so we're walking around the habitat and we come around and Mike the Tiger is lying on his back with his paws up and looks like this most docile little kitty cat, a very overgrown kitty cat. And she's looking down and she says, what's that? And of course, a lot of people are making noise. And then, of course, Mike the Tiger immediately like pounces, springs up and becomes Mike the Tiger. And I thought my wife was going to jump five feet off the ground and leap into my arms. She says, he's real. It's like, yeah, honey, what do you think? It's just a statue around the corner. By the way, (laughs) MikeTheTiger.com, I think it's a live video cam. You can go 24 hours a day on YouTube and actually see the habitat live. 
just FYI. But anyway, that's my Mike the Tiger LSU campus story. Uh, Mississippi State, uh, coming off a road window, improved 2-0 and in Arizona. wasn't a pretty game. They overcame some turnovers. They still aren't really running the ball. But, hey, it's a Mike Leach coach team. Their quarterback, Will Rogers, 39 for 49, 313 yards, four touchdowns, one interception in the win in Arizona. Uh, they beat Memphis 49-23 at home. They won 39-17 at Arizona, despite those three turnovers. As I said, LSU, after that loss at home to open the season, did beat up a cupcake this past weekend. Southern 65-17. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I'd like to say that I think LSU can win this game, but I'm not really sure what to make of this game. Uh, I agree with you, Al. Tough game to call. Mississippi State on the road, laying points at LSU. Uh, State already 2-0 and against the spread this year. But you know what, Al? Last week, uh, everybody was on Arizona last week. Everybody loved Arizona. Getting 11, game was never close. Loved Arizona off of their performance against a bad, this year, unfortunately, a bad San Diego State team. I, I could not believe the way the money was that I saw coming in on Arizona last week. Uh, big fan of Will Rogers. Uh, the, the thing is, LSU has dominated this series over the years. 19-3 and all-time versus Mississippi State. And a key note, Al, the last three meetings, the away team has won. I, I like Mississippi State. I'm going to go out and I'm going to think Leach is going to throw that ball all around the Baton Rouge on Saturday night. I'm going to take Mississippi State late in a three-and-a-half or three. Is that the line you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Three. Uh, well, actually, it's about two now. It's Mississippi State's two. It's come down. I will say, you know, Brian Kelly only gets so many mulligans when you're paid, being paid $90 million. Mulligan number one was having two offensive line failures that cost you a chance to go into overtime and possibly beat Florida State. I don't think you're supposed to lose your – SEC opener at home against Mike Leach. I don't think that would be a good thing for Brian Kelly. So I'm going to go with LSU here. This is one, if you back me in the corner and put a gun to my head and force me to bet it, I would take LSU. That's my recommendation. So you know where I'm coming from. The next game is going to be Maryland and SMU. This is a game that I think is pretty fascinating. Uh, Maryland is a three and a half point favorite. The total is 73 and a half. I will throw it into your corner first. Well, this is a big step up for SMU. New coach this year, Rhett Lashley, the former offensive coordinator at Miami. Big step up. Uh, SMU 2-0, first two games against North, Te- North Texas and Lamar. They travel to College Park to face Maryland, who's also undefeated. Maryland 8-1 and against non-conference opponents since uh, Mike Loxley took over as head coach. Um Tunga Bailoa is the quarterback there. I think Maryland is the better team. Um, Three points is the line, I believe. I like the Terrapins. But you know what? Maryland does this every year. They open up good their non-conference schedule. By the time they're in the Big Ten, they're four and eight by the end by seasons and four and eight, three and nine, always something like that. But and, and they they know they got to stay up on this game. They still have Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue on on the schedule yet. So this is uh, this is going to be a, a big test for Mich- for Maryland against that SMU passing offense. But uh, I'm I'm going to go with the Terrapins at home and lay lay the small number. I've always been an SMU fan, but this is out of their league, literally. Tanner Mordecai. I think that's how you say his last name. A great season last year, nearly 68% completions, 3,628 yards, 39 touchdowns, off to a good start this season. But you beat North Texas and an FCS team in Lamar. You're right. Maryland will start off strong, and then at the end of the season, they've got to beat like Rutgers to become bowl eligible. (laughs) That's how it goes. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, the Terrapins don't have much of a defense, don't have much of a pass rush. But this year, the offense is a little more balanced because they've been able to run the ball. I think Maryland is the way to go. I would buy down that half point. I also look at this total, and a lot of people will go 73 and a half points. I don't see, see SMU being able to stop Maryland. At the same time, I think that the Terrapins could easily give up 30 points themselves. This could easily be a 44-34 game and put this baby right over the total. 
these teams combining for 75 to 83, 84 points, I think that's very realistic in this spot. Yeah, and you know, Al, like you said, the point that point that point total is high. I even said wow when I heard that from you. But uh, you know, and Maryland hasn't seen a team like SMU that's going to throw the ball around like they will. Uh, over could be a good play, not as good as our over la- or as our under last week when our team Iowa came through for us once again against Iowa State, not scoring any points. As a matter of fact, Al, you like this fact? They punted it more than scored points this year in their two games. So. Uh, you know, but they do have Nevada this week, and they're laying twenty-three against the Wolfpack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ex- explain to me that <laughs> Iowa has <laughs> Iowa scored twenty-three total points this season to be laying twenty-three points. I it just blows my mind. Uh, by the way, uh, Maryland uh, last week when they blew out Charlotte, and it was a fifty-six to twenty-one win. That defense only had one sack and three quarterback hurries. They're going to be placing, playing a team that plays at up-tempo, speed offense, that throws, 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 but can also run. If they can't get the pressure, and they're also not used to playing that up-tempo, that's going to be an exhausted defense. And that's another reason that I think as the game wears on, defense is going to be at less than a premium. And I think that that's going to lead to that over as well. But definitely, I think Maryland is the way to go. And that's the stronger of the two plays in this contest. Okay, you had BYU as your best bet last Saturday. Now the Cougars find themselves in Eugene to take an Oregon. The Ducks rebounded from that blowout at Georgia by taking care of business. But, hey, they were playing a nobody this past week, blowing out uh, Eastern Washington 70 to 14. Before we get to the play. As I was researching this game, I came across something very interesting. The last time, um, you know, I look at this game and I think, well, it was an emotionally draining, uh, drama-filled revenge win for BYU, 26-20, to the double overtime win over Baylor. It was their first win against a top 10 team at home since 1990 when they upset then number one Miami, Three weeks later, back in 1990, where did they go? To Eugene. They were 4-0, ranked number four, and the Ducks beat them 32-16. Is it deja vu all over again in this situation for the Cougars? You know, Al, that was BYU's first win over a top-10 team in 32 years. Back back then, Ty, Ty Detmer was the, was the quarterback. That's when he won the Heisman Trophy. They beat Miami up. Yeah, they beat Miami of Florida. Emotional win for BYU last week, like you said. They were minus the two wide receivers, but I'll tell you, that kid I like, that freshman Chase Roberts, had a big game for for BYU. Um, Still not impressed with Oregon, but I'm a little leery of BYU on the road this week after that win. If they could get this win somehow in Oregon, Al, you know, they could be this year's Cincinnati. Uh, They got a game against Arkansas yet. They have a game against Notre Dame yet. So they get a couple of wins together, you know. But I, I wasn't impressed with uh, the running game of BYU last week. Um, and Jaron Hall was good, 261, only at 83 yards rushing. Um, I don't know. Bo Nix has got to do something. I, I think he might break out this game. As much as I liked BYU last week, I'm not a, that big of a fan this week at, at Oregon. I agree with you. Bo Nix, by the way, after playing so poorly against Georgia – how many times did we say that when he was with Auburn? But Bo Nix against Eastern Washington, 28 of 33, 277 yards, five touchdowns. The eight drives that he played in that game before getting pulled resulted in eight touchdowns. But again, it was Eastern Washington. Does the fact that BYU was so strong against non-conference foes last year factor into your opinion here? Or is it more that this is the typical classic letdown situation here and you have to guard against it because you know you look at BYU and you come in here and you go this is a team that's 23 and 4 straight up in its last 27 games and what I admire about the BYU program is that this is a program when you look at its schedule is not littered with cupcakes yeah and you know what Al they they fed off that crowd last week in Provo which we said was just going to be Crazy, 63,000 
that was just a, a crazy crowd last week. You know, Oregon, 28 straight non-conference home wins out. But again, you go back to BYU last year, 5-0 and against the Pac-12 last year they were. Uh, but I just uh, I think two weeks in a row getting up is going to be tough this, this week in, in Oregon and Autzen Stadium, which is going to be crazy there now. Uh, so I, I like I said earlier, I like Oregon in this one. Yeah, I'm with you as well. I would go ahead and uh, take Oregon in this one. I would buy down the half point with uh, as we do this program on Tuesday night. Oregon is currently a three and a half point favorite in here. I would go ahead and buy down the three if the line moves up, which I don't think it will. But it'll be interesting to see where this line moves, if it settles at this three and a half or if money comes in on BYU late based on their performance or if more people think like us and push it the other way going, BYU is going to be in the client prime letdown situation. I'm going to jump on Oregon here, and they push this up to four, four and a half. I think the latter scenario, pushing the line up to four, four and a half, is probably going to be the more likely outcome in this particular spot. Uh, before we get to our last game, which is USC and Fresno State, just a quick reminder, once again, you can get my best bet, Rick's best bet, and the best bets of all 10 handicappers at thesportsadvisors.com for free. All you've got to do is go over to the website and click on the one-day free all-access pass. No strings attached. There are no salesmen. There are no hassles. You click on the one-day free all-access pass, and you get all of our plays for free. And you can pick the day, FYI, if you want the Saturday plays or if you want the Sunday plays. It's your choice at thesportsadvisors.com. And the reason we do it, and we're the only people to do it in the handicapping industry, and we've been doing it for over 15 years now, it's the best way for you to sample what we do by getting our picks, getting all of our analysis, and getting a real taste of what we do. And by the way, there are no better picks. For example, whatever Rick has on Saturday and what I have on Saturday, that's it. There's no 900 number. There's no 800 service. This is the best of the best, and what you see is what you get. And again, it's free, the one-day all-access pass over at thesportsadvisors.com. The last game is going to be USC and Fresno State. USC is 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Rick, did you happen to catch the end of the Fresno State-Oregon State game on Saturday? I just know, Al, on the last play of the game. After a great back-and-forth battle with the Beavers, Fresno State just came up short. Uh, for those of you that are out there and weren't paying attention or didn't care, it was one of the craziest final couple of minutes. There were three lead changes in the final minute and 50 seconds. Oregon State took a 29-26 lead with a minute 50 to play. It took 45 seconds for Fresno State to march right down the field and take the lead once again. And then Oregon State marched 73 yards, went down the field. They were in position to kick a field goal to force overtime. Then Jeff Tedford, the Fresno State coach, goes and calls a timeout right as the Oregon State kicker is kicking it. He makes the field goal. But, of course, he called timeout, which negated the made field goal, which would have tied the game and forced overtime. So Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State head coach, thinking about it, then decides, the hell with the field goal. I'm going for the win. So he comes out. I can't remember the player's name, but they go for the direct snap. Boom. Goes in, scores the winning touchdown. <laughs> so if you had Fresno State, if you had Fresno State, that's how you lost on Saturday night because Jeff Tedford iced the kicker, but really iced himself out of the win. And Jonathan Smith, props to you because you had the you-know-what to go for it on the road, and that's why your team is 2-0. Now, Fresno State has been a Pac-12 killer over the past couple of years, but you talk about a devastating loss to come back for from. And by the way, USC – well, they're not going to take any pity on you. Uh, no, you loved you. You loved USC last week. It was kind of on the Stanford side, along with some many other people. So uh, I, I saw that USC is going to be the real deal. Caleb Williams, which I knew about, three forty-one and four. 
Addison, the big day, 172 yards and two touchdowns. And the kid that really impressed me was a transfer from Oregon, Travis Dye, 105 yards and a touchdown. SC 34-1-1 against the Mountain West Conference. Even though I like West, even though I like Fresno State's Jake Hapner, who's a tough kid, always plays well. He's covered the last five versus Pac-10 foes. Um, I'm, uh, I, I got to go with SC at home yet. You know what, Al? I was a little surprised when I saw that opening line at 12 and a half. You may have seen it's gone up a little. I don't know. But when I saw 12 and a half, I thought that something looked fishy, but I, I got to take the Trojans. They, they might be back. They're back. They're playing for one game now. In a couple of weeks, it's going to be Utah. The only reason I can see this line as we record this show on Tuesday night is 12 and a half is because people think that USC is going to have a letdown after getting revenge in their Pac-12 opener on the road against Stanford. I don't see it. USC should be laying 17 and a half in this game. That would be a fair price because it's a joke. This is a USC team. You see that final score of 41 to 28 at Stanford. Do not be misled. It was a 35 to 14 game at halftime. Lincoln Riley after the game and some of the players as well admitted that they took their foot off the gas pedal in the second half. Mm. Oh, I think that's going to be reversed here. I think what you're going to see is a repeat of how they were in that offensive mode go get the points in their opener at home against Rice. Now, granted, the opposition is going to be far superior here with Fresno, but the defense has also got to be given some props for USC. Uh, Two interceptions and two fumble recoveries against Stanford. Those four turnovers led to 17 points. They've already forced eight turnovers in two games this season. With the offense... They've got the speed, they've got the athleticism, all those kids that came in through the transfer portal. This is a Lincoln-Riley team that is going to put a lot of points on the board against Fresno. I just don't see it being a close game. So that's it. That's a rundown of this week's game. Again, we told you, you've seen the scroll at the bottom of the page, how to get all our plays for free using the one-day free all-access pass at the Sports Advisors. For Rick Torino, I am Al DeMarco, and we will catch you again right here next week as we break down all your college football games. And remember to catch the NFL pregame show that I do with Steve Boudin each and every week as well on the sportsadvisors.com. Good luck, everybody.